As for why I'm here, I brought him home. She nodded beyond me, where I heard shiny breathing. Oh, I was beginning to feel calm again. Uh, thank you, then, but, um, Lady Lil, just Lil. She beamed and turned back to the stove. Ham? What? Ham. She turned and looked past me at Shiny. I would like some ham. There's no ham in the house, he said. Oh, she said, sounding heartbroken. Her face fell, too, almost comically tragic. I hardly noticed, stunned by Shiny's response. He moved behind me to the cupboard and took something out, setting it on the counter. Smoked veli. Lil brightened immediately. Ah, better than ham. Now we'll have a proper breakfast. She turned back to her preparations, beginning to hum some toneless song. I was beginning to feel lightheaded. I went to the table and sat down, not sure what to think. Shiny sat down across from me, watching me with his heavy gaze. I must apologize, he said softly. I jumped. You're talking more? He didn't bother to respond to that question, since the answer was obvious. I didn't expect Lil to impose on your hospitality. That was not my intention. For a moment, I did not respond, distracted. He'd spoken at the sight of Rola's murder, but this was the first time I'd heard him say several sentences in a row. And dear gods, his voice was beautiful, tenor. I'd expected him to be baritone. And it was rich, every precisely enunciated word reverberating through my ears all the way down to my toes. I could listen to a voice like that all day, or all night. Sternly, I turned my thoughts away from that path. I had enough gods in my love life. Then I realized I'd been staring blankly at him. Oh, I, I don't mind that so much, I said at last, though I wish you'd asked first. She insisted. That threw me. Why? I have a warning to pass on, Lil interjected coming over to the table. She put a plate in front of me, then another in front of Shiny. My kitchen had only two chairs, so she hoisted herself up on a counter, then picked up a plate she'd apparently set aside for herself. Her eyes gleamed as she gazed at her food, and I looked away, afraid she would open her mouth wide again. A warning? In spite of everything, the food smelled good. I poked it a bit and realized she'd incorporated the veli into the eggs, along with peppers and herbs I'd forgotten I had. I tried it. Delicious. Someone is looking for you, Lil said. It took a moment to figure out she meant me, not Shiny. Then I sobered, realizing who might be looking for me. Everyone saw Previt Ramarin talking to me yesterday. Now that he's, um, gone, I imagine his fellow Previts will come around. Oh, he's not dead, said Lil, surprised. The three I ate last night were just order keepers. Young, healthy, quite juicy beneath the crust. She uttered a lascivious sigh. I put down my fork, appetite gone. There was no magic on them to spoil the taste, except that used to kill them. I imagine they were just there to do the beating. In spite of myself, I groaned inwardly. That had been the one benefit I could see in the priest's deaths. Ramarin was the only one who knew of my magic and suspected me of being Rola's killer. 
Now with his men dead, he would definitely be looking for me. Matting's words came back to me. Leave town. Yet the problem of money haunted me, and I did not want to leave. Shadow was my home. He's not the one I meant in any case, Lil said, interrupting my thoughts. Surprised, I focused on her. Her plate, faintly visible to me in the reflected glow of her body, was empty, clean, as if she'd polished it. She was licking her fork now, with long, slow strokes of her tongue that seemed obscene. What? She turned and looked at me, and abruptly I was pinned by her mottled gaze. The dark spots in her eyes moved, spinning about her pupils in a slow, restless dance. I found myself wondering if the spots in her hair moved, too. So much hunger, she said in a soft, raspy purr. It wraps about you like a layered cloak. A prevot's anger, Madding's desire. My cheeks grew warm, and one other, more hungry than the others. Powerful. Dangerous. She shivered, and I shivered with her. He could reshape the world with such hunger, especially if he gets what he wants. And what he wants is you. I stared at her, confused and alarmed. Who is this person? What does he want me for? I don't know. She licked her lips, then regarded me thoughtfully. Perhaps if I stay near you, I can meet him. I frowned, too unnerved to comment on this. Why would anyone powerful want me? I was nothing, nobody. Even Ramaran would be disappointed if he knew the truth of the magic he'd sensed in me. All I could do was see. And I frowned. There were also my paintings. I kept those out of sight. Only Madding and Shiny knew about them. There was something magical to those. I didn't know what, but my father had taught me long ago that it was important to keep such things hidden. And so I did. Was it those, then? that this mysterious person wanted? No, no, I was jumping to conclusions. I didn't even know if this person existed. All I had to go on was the word of a goddess who saw nothing wrong with eating human beings. She might see nothing wrong with lying to them, too. Shiny was still there, though I had not heard him eat. I licked my lips, wondering if he would answer. Do you know what she's talking about? I asked him. No. So far, so good. Your injuries, I began. He's fine, Lil said. She was eyeing my unfinished plate. I killed him, and he came back whole. I blinked in surprise. You healed him by killing him? She shrugged. Should I have left him as he was, taking weeks to heal on his own? He isn't like the rest of us. He is mortal. Except at sunrise. Even then. Lil hopped down from the counter, leaving her empty plate behind. He has been diminished to only a fraction of his true self. Enough for a pretty light show now and then, but no more. And enough to protect you. She drew close, her eyes fixed on my plate. I was so busy pondering her words that I did not notice her approach until her expression turned. God's. I have no words for the horror of her. It was as if her other face, the long-mouthed predator, had appeared underneath the benign one. I could not see that face, as she had warned me, but I could feel its presence and its raw, bottomless hunger. 
I realized it only when she lunged, not at my plate, but at me. I didn't even have time to cry out. Her bony, sharp-nailed hand shot at my throat and might have torn it out by the time I registered the danger. But an instant later, her hand stilled and quivered an inch away. I stared at it, then at the dark blotch around her wrist. Just like the day before at my table, and just as then, Shiny suddenly became visible to me, his glow rising from within, his face hard and eyes irritated as he glared at Lil. Lil smiled at him, then at me. You see? I dragged my mind back from silent screaming fits and took a deep breath to calm down. I did see, but it made no sense. I said to Shiny, Your power comes back to you when... when you protect me? I could still see him, which made it easy to see the contemptuous look he threw at me. I nearly flinched in surprise. What had I done to merit that look? Then I remembered what Madding had said. He doesn't think much of mortals. Lil grinned, reading my face. Any mortal, she said, and eyed Shiny. You will wander among mortals as one of them. I blinked in surprise and saw Shiny stiffen. The words were not hers, I could tell. They did not sound like Lil at all. I heard darker echoes. Unknown commanding only what wealth and respect you can earn with your deeds and words. You may call upon your power only in great need, and only to aid these mortals for whom you hold such contempt. Shiny released her wrist and turned away from her, sitting down with a bleak expression. What little of it I could see, because his glow was fading already. Ah, he had dealt with the threat, so he no longer needed his power. I took a deep breath and faced Lil. I appreciate the information. But if you don't mind, in the future, just explain things to me. No more demonstrations. She laughed, which set the little hairs arise on my skin. She did not sound entirely sane. I'm glad you can see me, mortal girl. It makes things so much more interesting. Her eyes shifted to the table. Are you going to eat that? My plate? Or did she mean my hand, which rested near it? Very carefully, I moved my hand to my lap. Be my guest. Lil laughed again, delighted and bent over the plate. There was a movement too fast for me to follow. I had the impression of whirring needles and a quick, fetid breeze wafted past my nose. When she lifted her head half a breath later, the plate was clean. She took my napkin, too, to dab at the corners of her mouth. I swallowed hard and pushed myself to my feet, edging around her. Shiny was a barely visible shadow across from me, eating. Lil had begun to throw glances at his plate, too. There were things I wanted to say to him, though not in front of Lil. He had been humiliated enough the night before. But we would have to reach an understanding, he and I, and soon. I washed the dishes slowly, and Shiny ate slowly. Lil sat in my chair, glancing from one to the other of us, and laughing to herself now and again. The sun was high by the time I left the house, later than I'd hoped to set out. I had farther to go this time and tables to carry. Though I'd hoped that Shiny would join me again and perhaps help me carry things, he remained where he was after breakfast was done. He was brooding, in a darker mood than usual, 
I almost missed his old apathy. Lil left when I did, to my great relief. One problematic godling house guest was enough for me. She bid me a fond farewell before she left, however, and thanked me so profusely for the breakfast that I actually felt better about her. Matting had always hinted to me that some godlings were better than others at interacting with mortals. Some of them were too alien in their thought processes, or too monstrous in our eyes, to fit in easily despite their best efforts. I had an idea that Lil was among these. I carried my tables and the best selling of my merchandise to the southern promenade of Gateway Park. The northwestern promenade was where Art Rose stood, the better to take advantage of the crowds that came for the best view of the tree and other noteworthy sights of the city. The south promenade, where the view was passable but not ideal, and where the attractions were less impressive, was a mediocre spot. Still, it was the only option I had left. The northeastern entrance of the park had been occluded years ago by a root of the tree, and the east gate had a lovely view of Skye's freight gate. As I entered the south promenade, I heard a few other sellers at work, calling out to passers-by to hawk their wares. Not a good sign, that. It meant potential customers were sparse enough that the sellers had to compete over them. There would be none of the companionable looking out for one another that I was used to at the row. This would be every seller for herself. I could hear three, no four other sellers in the vicinity. One with decorative headscarves, another selling tree pies, whatever those were, they did smell nice, and two apparently selling books and souvenirs. I felt the glares of the latter two as I began setting up, and I worried that I might have to deal with unpleasantness. As often happened once they got a good look at me, however, no one bothered me. There are times, rare, I'll admit, when blindness comes in handy. So I set up and waited, and waited. I didn't know the area and hadn't had a chance to fully explore. Although I could hear foot traffic passing relatively nearby, pilgrims remarking over how dark the city had become and how beautiful the tree-entangled palace sky still was, it was possible I'd managed to set myself up in a bad area. I had no doubt the other sellers had already laid claim to the best spots, so I resolved to do the best I could with what I had. By mid-afternoon, however, I knew I was in trouble. My wares had lured over a few pilgrims, working folk mostly, almond from less prosperous towns and lands near Shadow. That was part of the problem, I realized. High Northers and island folk had always been my best customers. The faith of Etempus had always been precarious in those lands, so they bought my miniature trees and statues of godlings eagerly. But Cenomites were mostly Amun, and Amun were mostly Etempin. They were less easily impressed by the tree, and Shadow's other heretical wonders. Which was fine. I never begrudged people their beliefs, but I needed to eat. My stomach had begun to rumble in a vocal reminder of this fact, my own fault for letting Lil's presence deter me from breakfast. Then an idea came to me. I rummaged among my bags and was relieved to find I'd brought the sidewalk chalk. I moved around to the front of my tables, crouched, and considered what to sketch. The idea that came to me was so fiercely powerful that I rocked back on my toes for a moment, startled. Usually, my creative urges came in the morning, when I painted in my basement. I'd meant to sketch only a few silly doodles to draw eyes toward my trinkets and goods. But the image in my head... I licked my lips and considered whether it was safe. It was dangerous, I decided. No doubt about it. I was blind for the gods' sake. I shouldn't have been able to visualize anything, 
much less depicted recognizably. Most people in the city wouldn't notice the paradox or care, but to order keepers and others whose job it was to watch for unauthorized magic, it would be suspect. I had survived all these years by being careful. But I picked up a piece of chalk, rubbing its smooth, fat length between my fingers. Colors meant little to me, except as a detail of substance. But I had picked up the habit of naming my paints and chalks nevertheless. There is more to color than what can be seen, after all. The chalk smelled faintly bitter. Not the bitterness of food, but the bitterness of air too rarefied to breathe. Like when one climbed a high hill. I decided it was white and perfect for the image in my head. I paint a picture, I whispered, and began. I sketched the bowl of a sky, not sky or any part of it, not even the sky that existed somewhere above the tree, which I had never seen. This would be a thin, nearly empty firmament, wheeling above in layers of rising color. I laid down a thick base of white chalk using both of my available sticks until there was just a sliver remaining. Lucky. Then I grazed in blue. Not much of it, though. It felt wrong for the sky in my head, too vibrant, thick, almost greasy between my fingers. I used my hands to thin out the blue, then added another color that made a good yellow. Yes, that was right. I thickened the yellow, rolling it on, feeling its growing intensity and warmth, and following it until at last it coalesced into light at the center of my composition. Two suns, one great and one smaller, spinning about each other in an eternal dance. Perhaps I could... Hey, just a minute, I murmured. The clouds in this sky would be powerful things, thick and dark with impending rain. I reached for something that smelled silver and drew one, wishing I had more blue or black. Now birds. Of course there would be birds flying in this bright, empty sky, but they would not have feathers. Hey. Something touched me and I started, dropping the chalk and blinking out of my daze. What? What? Almost at once my back protested, bruises and muscles twinging. How long had I been drawing? I groaned, reaching back to knead the small of my back. Thanks, said the voice, male, older. No one I knew, though he reminded me vaguely of Roy. Then I recalled hearing his voice, one of my fellow souvenir sellers, the loudest of the three who'd been hawking his wares. That's a nice trick, he continued. You pulled a crowd, but the soft promenade closes at sunset, so you might want to catch a few of them while you can, huh? Crowd? I abruptly became aware of voices around me, dozens of them, clustered around my drawing. They were murmuring, exclaiming over something. I got to my feet and hissed at the agony in my knees. As I straightened, the cluster of people around me burst into applause. What? But I knew. They were clapping for me. Before I could wrap my thoughts around this, my onlookers pushed forward. I heard them jostling each other in an effort to avoid stepping on the drawing and began asking me the price of my wares, and whether I painted professionally, and how I managed to draw such beautiful things when I couldn't see, and whether I really couldn't see, and, and, and. I had enough wits left to get behind the table and answer the most uncomfortable questions with silly pleasantries. No, I really can't see. I'm glad you like it. 
before I was inundated with eager customers buying everything I had. Most of them weren't even haggling. It was the best sales day I'd ever had, and it all happened in a span of minutes. When they were done with me, most of the customers moved over to the other tables, as they had been doing since I'd begun drawing, I realized belatedly. No wonder the hawker had come to thank me. But I could hear the distant tolling of the white hall bells, marking sunset. The park would be closing soon. I thought it might be you, said a voice nearby, and I jumped, turning to smile at what I thought was yet another customer. But the man who'd spoken did not come to the table. When I oriented on him, I realized he was just beyond the chalk drawing. Pardon? I asked. You are at the other promenade, he said, and I tensed in alarm, though he did not sound threatening at all. The day after you found that godling's body. I saw you then. Thought there was something interesting about you. I began to pack up, less alarmed now. Perhaps this was some sort of awkward attempt on the man's part to chat me up. Were you in the crowd? I asked. One of the heretics? Heretics, the man chuckled. Hmm. I suppose the order would think so, though I honor the bright lord too. One of the new lights, then. They were supposedly some other branch of Etempen, or maybe a newer sect. I could never keep them straight. Well, I'm a traditional Etempen myself. I said it to forestall any attempts on his part to convert me. But if Rolla was your god, then I'm sorry for your loss. I almost heard his eyebrows rise. Any Etempen who does not condemn the worshippers of another god, or celebrate that god's death. Aren't you a bit heretical yourself? I shrugged, putting the last of the small boxes into my carry sack. Maybe so, I smiled. Don't tell the order keepers. The man laughed and then, to my relief, turned away. Of course not. Until later then. He walked off, humming to himself, and that confirmed it. He was singing the new light's wordless song. I sat down for a moment to recoup before starting the trip back. My pockets were full of coins and my purse, too. Matting would be pleased. I'd have to take a few days off to replenish my stock before I could sell again. And maybe I'd take a few days beyond that, as a vacation. I'd never had a vacation before, but I could afford it now. Boots approached from the far end of the promenade. I was so tired and dazed that I thought nothing of it. There were many people milling around the south promenade now, though the other sellers were packing up as well. If I had listened more carefully, however, I would have recognized the boots. I did, too late, when their owner spoke. Very good, Ori Shoth, said a voice I dreaded hearing all day. Ramar and Dee. Oh, no. Very good of you indeed to draw such a lovely beacon, he said, coming to stop just beyond the chalk drawing. There were three other sets of footsteps approaching beyond him, all with those horribly familiar heavy boots. I rose to my feet, trembling. I'd expected you to be halfway to Nimaro by now, he continued. Imagine my surprise when I caught the scent of familiar magic, not so very far away at all. I don't know anything, I stammered. I gripped my stick as if that would help me. I have no idea who killed Lady Rolla, and I'm not a godling. My dear... I don't really care about that anymore, he said. And by the cold fury in his tone...
I knew he'd found whatever Lil had left of his men. That meant I was lost, utterly lost. I want your friend. That white-haired Morrow bastard. Where is he? For a moment, I was confused. Shiny's hair was white? He didn't do anything. Oh, gods, that was a lie, and Ramarin was a scrivener. He would know. I mean, there was a godling, a woman named Lil. She... Enough of this, he snapped and turned away. Take her. The boots came forward, closing in. I stumbled back, but there was nowhere to go. Would they beat me to death and avenge their comrades right here, or take me to the White Hall for questioning first? I began to gasp in panic. My heart was pounding. What could I do? And then many things happened at once. Why? I'd asked my father long ago. Why could I not show my paintings to others? They were just paint and pigment. Not everyone liked them. Some of the images were too disturbing for that. But they did no harm. They're magic, he told me. Over and over again, he told me. But I didn't listen enough. I didn't believe. There's no such thing as magic that does no harm. The order keeper stepped onto my drawing. No, I whispered as they drew closer. Please. Poor girl. I heard a woman, one of those who'd wanted to know if I painted professionally, murmuring amid the crowd from some ways off. They had loved me a moment before. Now they were going to just stand there, useless, while the keepers took their revenge. Put that stick down, woman, said one of the keepers, sounding annoyed. I clutched my walking stick tighter. I couldn't breathe. Why were they doing this? They knew I hadn't killed Rola, that I wasn't a godling. I had magic, but they would laugh to know what phenomenal powers I was concealing. I was no threat. Please, please, I said. I almost sobbed it, like my name. Please, gasped. Please. They kept coming. A hand grabbed my stick, and suddenly my eyes burned. Heat boiled behind them, pushing to get out. I shut them in reflex, the pain fueling my terror. Get away from me, I screamed. I tried to fight, flailed with hands and stick. My hand found a chest, Shiny's hand on my chest, lashing out at the witness to his shame, and I pushed. This is difficult to describe, even now. Bear with me. Somewhere, elsewhere, there is a sky. It is a hot, empty sky, overhead a sky should be, blazing with the light of twin suns. The sky I drew. Do you understand? Somewhere it is real. I know this now. When I screamed and pushed at the order keepers, the heat behind my eyes flared into light. In my mind's eye, I saw legs fall into this sky upside down, legs and hips appearing out of nowhere, kicking, twisting, falling. There was nothing else attached to them. Something changed. When I became aware of it, I blinked, screaming all around me, running, pounding feet. Something jostled one of my tables, knocking it over. I stumbled back. I could smell blood and something fouler, excrement and bile and stark, stinking fear. Abruptly, I realized I could not see my entire drawing anymore. It was there, 
I could still see the edges of it. Its glow was oddly faded and growing fainter by the second, as if its magic had been spent. However, what remained of it was occluded by three large dark blotches, spreading and overlapping. Liquid, not magical. Ramarin D's voice was distraught, almost unintelligible with horror. What did you do, Morrow bitch? What in the father's name have you done? What? What? My eyes hurt. My head hurt. The smell was making me ill. I felt wrong, off balance, all my skin a prickle. My mouth tasted of guilt, and I did not know why. Ramarin was shouting for someone to help him. He sounded like he was exerting himself, pulling at something heavy. There was a sound, something wet. I shuddered. I did not want to know what that sound was. Two presences suddenly appeared on either side of me. They took me by the arms, gingerly. Time to go, little one, said a bright male voice, Madding's lieutenant. Where the hells had he come from? Then the world flared and we were somewhere else. Quiet settled around us, along with warm, scented humidity and a blue-green feeling of calm and balance. Madding's house. It should have been a sanctuary for me, but I did not feel safe. What happened? I asked the godling beside me. Please tell me. Something. I did something, didn't I? You don't know? Madding's other lieutenant. The female one. On my other side. She sounded incredulous. No, I did not want to know. I licked my lips. Please tell me. I don't know how you did it, she said, speaking slowly. There was something in her tone that was almost odd, that made no sense. She was a god. I've never seen a mortal do anything like that. But you're drawing. She trailed off. It became an Armutgatawasl, though not quite Shuau, said the male godling. His god words briefly stinging my eyes. I shut them in reflex. Why did my eyes hurt? It felt like I'd been punched in the back of each. It carved a path across half a billion stars and connected one world with another, just for a moment. Damnedest thing. I rubbed my eyes in frustration, though this did no good. The pain was inside me. I don't understand, damn you. Speak mortal. I did not want to know. You made a door, he said. You sent the order keepers through it. Not all the way, though. The magic wasn't stable. It burned out before they passed through completely. Do you understand? I... No. It was just a chalk drawing, I whispered. You dropped them partway into another world, snapped the female godling. And then you closed the door. You cut them in half. Do you understand now? I did. I began to scream and kept screaming until one of the godlings did something. And then I passed out. Five. Family. Charcoal study. I have a favorite memory of my father that I sometimes recall as a dream. In the dream, I am small. I have only recently learned to climb the ladder. The rungs are very far apart, and I cannot see them, so for a long time I was afraid I would miss a rung and fall. I had to learn not to be afraid, which is much harder than it sounds. I am very proud of having accomplished this. Papa, I say, 
running across the small attic room. This is, by my parents' mutual agreement, his room. My mother does not come here, not even to clean. It is neat anyhow. My father is a neat man. Yet it is permeated all over with that indefinable feeling that is him. Some of it is scent, but there is something more to his presence too, something that I understand instinctively, even if I lack the vocabulary to describe it. My father is not like most people in our village. He goes to Whitehall services only often enough to keep the priest from sanctioning him. He makes no offerings at the household altar. He does not pray. I have asked him whether he believes in the gods, and he says that of course he does. Are we not Morona? But that is not the same thing as honoring them, he adds sometimes. Then he cautions me not to mention this to anyone else. Not the priests, not my friends, not even Mama. One day, he says, I will understand. Today he is in a rare mood, and for a rare once, I can see him. A smaller than average man with cool black eyes and large, elegant hands. His face is lineless, almost youthful, though his hair is salt and pepper, and there is something in his gaze, something heavy and tired, that shows his long life more clearly than wrinkles ever could. He was old when he married Mama. He never wanted a child, yet he loves me with all his heart. I grin and lean on his knees. He's sitting down, which puts his face in reach of my searching fingers. Eyes can be fooled, I have learned already, but touch is always sure. You've been singing, I say. He smiled. Can you see me again? I thought it would have worn off by now. Sing for me, Papa, I plead. I love the colors his voice weaves in the air. No, re-child, your mother's home. She never hears it. Please, I promised, he says softly, and I hang my head. He promised my mother, long before I was born, never to expose her or me to the danger that comes of his strangeness. I am too young to understand where that danger comes from, but the fear in his eyes is enough to keep me silent. But he has broken his promise before. He did teach it to me, because otherwise I might have betrayed my own strangeness out of ignorance. And because, I later realize, it kills him a little to stifle that part of himself. He was meant to be glorious. With me, in these small private moments, he can be. So when he sees my disappointment, he sighs and lifts me into his lap. Very softly, just for me, he sings. I awoke slowly to the sound and smell of water. I was sitting in it. The water was nearly body temperature. I barely felt it on my skin. Under me, I could feel hard, sculpted stone, as warm as the water. Nearby was the smell of flowers. Hiraz, a vining plant that had once been native to the marrow land. Its blooms had a heavy, distinctive perfume that I liked. That told me where I was. If I hadn't been to Madding's place before, I would have been disoriented. Madding owned a large house in one of the richer districts of Westshire, and he had brought me here often, complaining that my little bed would give him a bad back. He had filled the ground floor of the house with pools. There were at least a dozen of them, carved out of the bedrock that underlay this part of shadow, sculpted into pretty shapes and screened by growing plants. 
It was the sort of design choice godlings were infamous for. They thought first of aesthetics, and lastly of convenience or propriety. Madding's guests had to either stand or strip and get into a pool. He saw nothing wrong with this. The pools were not magical. The water was warm because Mad had hired some mortal genius to concoct a mechanism that kept boiled water in the piping system at all times. Madding had never bothered to learn how it worked, so he couldn't explain it to me. I sat up, listening, and promptly became aware that someone was with me, sitting nearby. I saw nothing, but the breathing pattern was familiar. Mad? He resolved out of the darkness, sitting at the pool's edge with one knee drawn up. His hair was loose, clinging to his damp skin. It made him look strangely young. His eyes were somber. How do you feel? He asked. The question puzzled me for a moment, and then I remembered. I sat back against the side of the pool, barely feeling the throb of my old bruises, and turned my face away from him. My eyes still ached, so I closed them, though that didn't help much. How did I feel? Like a murderess. How else? Madding sighed. I suppose it does no good to point this out, but what happened wasn't your fault. Of course it did no good, and it wasn't true. Mortals are never good at controlling magic or re. You weren't built for it. And you didn't know what your magic could do. You didn't intend to kill those men. They're still dead, I said. My intentions don't change that. True. He shifted putting the other foot into the water. They probably intended to kill you, though. I laughed softly. It echoed off the shifting surface of the water and sounded demented. Stop trying, Mad. Please. He fell silent for a while, letting me wallow. When he decided I'd done enough of that, he slipped into the waist-high water and came over, lifting me against him. That was all it took, really. I buried my face in his chest, and let myself turn to Noodle in his arms. He rubbed my back and murmured soothing things in his language while I cried, and then he carried me out of the room of pools and up curving stairs and laid me down in the tumble pile of cushions that served as his bed. I fell asleep there, not caring whether I ever woke up again. Of course, I did wake up eventually, disturbed by voices talking softly nearby. When I opened my eyes and looked around, I was surprised to see a strange godling sitting beside the cushion pile. She was very pale, with short black hair molded like a cap around a pleasant heart-shaped face. Two things struck me at once. First, that she looked ordinary enough to pass for human, which marked her as a godling who regularly did business with mortals. Second, for some reason, she sat in shadow, though there was nothing nearby that could have thrown a shadow on her and I shouldn't have been able to see the shadow in any case. She had been talking with Madding, but paused as I sat up. Hello, I said, nodding to her and rubbing my face. I knew all his people, and this wasn't one of them. She nodded back, smiling. So you're Mad's killer. I stiffened. Madding scowled. Nemer? I meant no insult, she said, shrugging, still smiling. I like killers. I glanced at Matting, wondering whether it was all right for me to tell this kinswoman of his to go to the infinite hells. He didn't seem tense, which told me she was no threat or enemy, 
but he wasn't happy either. He noticed my look inside. Nemer came to warn me, Ori. She runs another organization here in town. More like a guild of independent professionals, Nemer put in. Matting threw her a look that was purely brotherly annoyance, then focused on me again. Ori, the Order of Etempis just contacted her, asking to commission her services. Hers, specifically, not one of her people. I picked up a big pillow and pulled it against me, not to hide my nudity, but to cover my shiver of unease. Matting noticed and went to his closet to fetch something for me. To Nemer, I said, Not that I know much about it, but I was under the impression that the Order could call upon the Aramary Assassin Corps whenever they had need. Yes, said Nemer, when the Aramary approve of or care about what they're doing. But there are a great many small matters that are beneath the Aramary's notice, and the Order prefers to take care of such matters itself, she shrugged. I nodded slowly. I take it you're a god of... Death? Oh no, that's the lady. I'm just stealth, secrets, a little infiltration. The sort of business that takes place under the Night Father's cloak. I could not help blinking at this title. She was referring to one of the new gods, the Lord of Shadows. But her term had sounded much like Night Lord. That could not be, of course. The Night Lord was in the keeping of the Aramary. I don't mind the odd elimination... Nemer continued, but only as a sideline. She shrugged, then glanced at Matting. I might reconsider, though, given how much the order is offering. Probably a big unexploited market in taking out godlings who piss off mortals. I gasped and whirled toward Mad, who was coming back to the bed with a robe. He lifted an eyebrow, unworried. Nemer laughed and reached over to poke my bare knee, which made me jump. I could be here for you you know. No, I said softly. Matting could take care of himself. There was no reason for me to worry. No one would send a godling to kill me. Easier to pay some beggar twenty Mary and make it look like a robbery gone wrong. Not that they need to hide it at all. They're the order. Ah, but you forget, Nemer said. You used magic to kill those keepers at the park and the Order thinks you killed three others who'd been assigned to discipline a marrow man, reportedly your cousin, for assaulting a prevot. They couldn't find the bodies, but words going around about how your magic works, she shrugged. Oh, gods. Matting knelt behind me, putting a robe of watered silk around my shoulders. I slumped back against him. Ramarin, I said. He thought I was a godling. And you don't hire a mortal to kill a godling, even one who's apparently goddess of chalk drawings come to life, Nemer winked at me. But then she sobered. It's you they want, but you're not the one they think is behind Rolla's death, not ultimately. Little brother, you should have been more discreet, she nodded toward me. All her neighbors know about her godling lover. Half the city knows it. You might have been able to save her from this otherwise. I know, Mad said, and there was a millennium's worth of regret in his tone. Wait, I said, frowning. The Order thinks Madding killed Rolla? I know a godling must have done it, but... Madding is in the business of selling our blood, Nemer said, 
Her tone was neutral as she said this, but I heard the disapproval in it anyway, and heard Madding sigh. And I hear business is good. It's not a far stretch to think he might want to increase production, maybe by obtaining a large amount of God's blood at one time. Which would be a fair assumption, Madding snapped. If Rolla's blood had been gone, there was plenty of it left in and around her body, which you took away in front of witnesses. To Yena! to see if there was any hope of bringing her back to life. But Rolla's soul had already gone elsewhere. He shook his head and sighed. Why in the infinite hells would I kill her, dump her body in an alley, then come back to fetch it if her blood was what I wanted? Maybe that wasn't what you wanted, Nemer said very softly. Or at least, you didn't want all her blood. Some of the witnesses got close enough to see what was missing, Mad. Madding's hands tightened on my shoulders. Puzzled, I covered one of them with my own. Missing? Her heart, said Nemer, and silence fell. I flinched, horrified. But then I remembered that day in the alley, when my fingers had come away from Rolla's body, coated thickly with blood. Madding cursed and got up. He began to pace, his steps quick and tight with anger. Nemer watched him for a moment then sighed and returned her attention to me. The order thinks this was some sort of exotic commission, she said. A wealthy customer wanting a more potent sort of God's blood. If the stuff from our veins is powerful enough to give mortals magic, how much stronger might heart blood be? Maybe even strong enough to give a blind Morona woman, known paramour of the very godling they suspect, the power to kill three order keepers. My mouth fell open. That's insane. No godling would kill another for those reasons. Nemer's eyebrows rose. Yes, and anyone who knows us would understand that. She said, a note of approval in her voice. Those of us who live in shadow enjoy playing games with mortal wealth, but none of us needs it. Nor would we bother to kill for it. The order hasn't figured that out yet or they wouldn't have tried to hire me, and they wouldn't suspect Madding, at least not for this reason. But they follow the creed of the bride. That which disturbs the order of society must be eliminated, regardless of whether it caused the disturbance. She rolled her eyes. You'd think they'd get tired of parroting Tempest and start thinking for themselves after two thousand years. I drew up my legs and wrapped my arms around them, resting my forehead on one knee. The nightmare kept growing, no matter what I did, getting worse by the day. They suspect Madding because of me, I murmured. That's what you're saying. No, Madding snapped. I could hear him still pacing. His voice was jagged with suppressed fury. They suspect me because of your damned house guest. I realized he was right. Private Ramarin might have noticed my magic, but that meant little in and of itself. Many mortals had magic. That was where scriveners like Ramarin came from. Only using that magic was illegal. And without seeing my paintings, Ramarin would have had no proof that I'd done so. If he had questioned me that day, and if I'd kept my wits about me, he would have realized I couldn't possibly have killed Rolla. At worst, I might have ended up as an order recruit. But then Shiny had intervened. Even though Lil had eaten the bodies in South Route, Ramarin knew that four men had gone into that alley and only one emerged, somehow unscathed. 
Gods knew how many witnesses there were in South Root who would talk for a coin or two. Worse, Romarin had probably sensed the white-hot blast of power Shiny used to kill his men, even from across the city. Between that and what I'd done to the order keepers with my chalk drawing, it did not seem so far-fetched a conclusion. One godling dead, another standing to profit from her death, and the mortals most intimately connected with him suddenly manifesting strange magic. None of it was proof, but they were etempens. Disorder was crime enough. Well, I've said my piece. Nemer got up stretching. As she did so, I saw what her posture had hidden. She was all wiry muscle and acrobatic grace. She looked too ordinary to be a spy and an assassin, but it was there when she moved. Take care of yourself, little brother. She paused and considered. Little sister, too. Wait, I blurted drawing a surprised look from both of them. What are you going to tell the order? What I already told them, she said with firm emphasis, was that they'd better never try to kill a godling again. They don't understand. It's not a tempest they have to deal with now. We don't know what this new twilight will do. No one sane wants to find out, and Maelstrom helped the entire mortal realm if they ever ignite the darkness's wrath. I... I fell silent in confusion, having no idea what she was talking about. The twilight, I knew. It was another name for the lady. The darkness. Was that the Shadow Lord? And what had she meant by, it's not a tempest they have to deal with now? They're wasting time on this stupidity, Matting snapped, grasping at straws instead of actually trying to find our sister's killer. I could kill them for that myself. Now, now, said Nemer, smiling. You know the rules. Besides, in twenty-eight days it will be a moot point. I wondered at this, too, then remembered the words of the quiet goddess that day in South Root. You have thirty days. What would happen when thirty days had passed? Nemer sobered. Anyway, it's worse than you think, little brother. You'll hear about this soon enough, so I might as well tell you now. Two of our other siblings have gone missing. Matting started, as did I. Nemer's sources of information were good indeed if she'd learned this before Mad's people or before the gossip line of the streets could pass it on. Who? he asked, stricken. Ina and Oboro. I had heard of the latter. He was some sort of warrior god, making a name for himself among the illegal fighting rings in the city. People liked him because he fought fair, had even lost a few times. Ina was new to me. Dead? I asked. No bodies have been found and none of us has felt the deaths occur. Though no one felt Rola either. She paused for a moment, growing still within her ever-present shadow, and abruptly I realized she was furious. It was hard to tell behind her jocularity, but she was just as angry as Madding. Of course, these were her brothers and sisters missing, possibly dying. I would have felt the same in her position. Then belatedly, it occurred to me. I was in her position. If someone was targeting godlings, killing them, then every godling in the city was in danger, including Matting and Shiny, if he still counted. I got to my feet and went over to him. He had stopped pacing. When I took his hands in a fierce grip, he looked surprised. I turned to Nemer and could not help the tremor in my voice. Lady Nemer. I said, thank you for telling us all this. 
Would you mind if Madding and I spoke in private now? Nemer looked taken aback. Then she grinned wolfishly. Oh, I like this one, Mad. Shame she's mortal. And yes, Miss Schulte, I'd be happy to leave you two alone now. On the condition that you never call me Lady Nemer again. She shuddered in mock horror. Makes me feel old. Yes, l- I bit my tongue. Yes. She winked, saluted Madding, and then vanished. As soon as she was gone, I turned to Madding. I want you to leave Shadow. He rocked back on his heels, staring at me. You what? Someone is killing godlings here. You'll be safe in the gods' realm. He gaped at me, speechless for several seconds. I don't know whether to laugh or kick you out of my house. That you would think so little of me. That you would honestly think I'd run rather than find the bastards who are doing this. I don't care about your pride. I squeezed his hands again, trying to make him listen. I know you're not a coward. I know you want to find your sister's killer. But if someone is killing godlings, and if none of the gods know how to stop that person... Mad, what's wrong with running? You just urge me to do the same thing to get away from the order, right? You spent eons in the gods' realm and only, what, ten years in this one? Why should you care what happens here? Why should I? He shook off my hands and took hold of my shoulders, glaring at me. Have you gone mad? You're standing here, in front of me, asking me why I don't leave you behind to face the order keepers and gods know what else. If you think, it's you they want. If you leave, I'll turn myself in. I'll tell them you went back to the gods' realm, they'll draw their own conclusions from that, then... Then they'll kill you, he said. That startled me silent. Of course they will, Ori. Scapegoats restore order, don't they? People are upset about what happened to Rola. Mortals don't like to think that their gods can die. They also want to see her killer brought to justice. The order will have to give them someone if not the killer. With me gone, you'd have no protection at all. It was true. Every word of it. I knew it with instinctive certainty. And I was afraid. But... I couldn't bear it if you died, I said softly. I could not meet his eyes. It was a variation on the same thing he'd told me months before. And it hurt to say now as much as his words had hurt to hear then. It's different knowing I'll lose you when I die. That's right, natural, the way things have to be. But, and I could not help it, I imagined his body in that alley, his blue-green scent fading, his warmth cooling, his blood staining my fingers, and nothing, nothing where the sight of him should be. No, I would rather die than allow that to happen. So be it. I said. I've killed three men. It was an accident, but they're still dead. They had dreams, maybe families. You know all about debts old, Mad. Isn't it right that I repay? As long as you're safe. He said a word that rang of fury and fear and sour chimes, and it burst against my vision in a splash of cold aquamarine, silencing me. He let go of me then, moving away and belatedly I'd realized that I had hurt him in my willingness to give my life. Obligation was his nature. Altruism was its antithesis. You will not do this to me, he said, 
cold in his anger, though I heard the taut fear that lay under it. You will not throw away your life because you were unlucky enough to be nearby when those fools started their blundering investigation, or because of that selfish bastard who lives with you. He clenched his fists, and you will never, ever again, offer to die for my sake. I sighed. I didn't want to hurt him, but there was no reason for him to stay in the mortal realm and put up with petty mortal politics. Not even for me. I had to make him see that. You said it yourself, I said. I'm going to die one day. Nothing can prevent that. What does it matter whether that happens now or in fifty years? I... It matters, he snarled, rounding on me. In two strides, he crossed the room and took me by the shoulders again. This caused a ripple in the surface of his mortal shape. For an instant, he flickered blue and then settled back, sweat sheening his face. His hands trembled. He was making himself sick to make a point. Don't you dare say it doesn't matter. I knew what I should have said then, what I should have done. I had encountered this with him before, this fierce, dangerous, all-consuming need that drove him to love me no matter how much pain that caused. He was right. He needed a goddess for a lover, not some fragile mortal girl who would let herself get killed at the drop of a hat. Dumping me, had been the smartest thing he'd ever done, even if letting him do it had been the hardest choice I'd ever made. So I should have pushed him away, said something terrible designed to break his heart. That would have been the right thing to do, and I should have been strong enough to do it. But I've never been as strong as I would like. Madding kissed me, and God's it was sweet. I felt him this time, all the coolness and fluid aquamarine of him. The edges and the ambition, everything he'd held back two nights before. I heard the chimes again as he flowed into me and through me, and when he pulled away, I clutched at him, pulling him close again. He rested his forehead on mine, trembling for a long, pent moment. He knew what he should do, too. Then he picked me up and carried me back to the pile of cushions. We had made love before, many times. It was never perfect. It couldn't be, me being mortal, but it was always good. Best of all, when Mad was needy the way he was now. He lost control at such times, forgot that I was mortal and that he needed to hold back. By this I don't mean his strength, though, that was part of it. I mean that sometimes he took me places, showed me visions. There are things mortals aren't meant to see. When he forgot himself, I saw some of them. I liked that he lost control, dangerous though it was. I liked knowing I could give him that much pleasure. He was one of the younger godlings, but he had still lived millennia to my decades, and sometimes I worried that I wasn't enough for him. On nights like this, though, as he wept and groaned and strained against me and scintillated like diamond when the moment struck, I knew that was a silly fear. Of course I was enough, because he loved me. That was the whole point. Afterward, we lay, spent and lazy, in the cool, humid silence of the late-night hours. I could hear others moving about in the house, on that floor and the one above, mortal servants, some of Madding's people, perhaps a valued customer who'd been given the rare privilege of buying goods direct from the source. There were no doors in Madding's home, because godlings regarded them as a nuisance, 
so the whole house had probably heard us. Neither of us cared. Did I hurt you? His usual question. Of course not. My usual answer, though he always sighed in relief when I gave it. I lay on my belly, comfortable, not yet drowsy. Did I hurt you? He usually laughed. That he stayed silent this time made me remember our earlier argument. That made me fall silent, too. You're going to need to leave Shadow, he said at last. I said nothing because there was nothing to say. He wasn't going to leave the mortal realm because that would get me killed. Leaving Shadow might get me killed, too, but the chances were lower. Everything depended on how badly Previt Ramarin wanted me. Outside of the city, Matting had less power to protect me. No godling was permitted to leave Shadow by decree of the Lady, who feared the havoc they might cause worldwide. But the Order of Etempus had a white hall in every sizable town, and thousands of priests and acolytes all over the world. I would be hard-pressed to hide from them if Ramarin was determined to have me. Matting was betting Ramarin wouldn't care, however. I was easy prey, but not really the prey he wanted. I have a few contacts outside of the city, Matting said. I'll have them set things up for you. A house in a small town somewhere, a guard or two. You'll be comfortable. I'll make sure of that. What about my things here? His eyes unfocused briefly. I've sent one of my siblings to take care of it tonight. We'll store your belongings here for now, then send them all to your new home by magic. Your neighbors will never even see you move out. So neat and quick, the destruction of my life. I rolled onto my belly and put my head down on my folded arms, trying not to think. After a moment, Mad sat up and leaned away from the pile of cushions, opening a small cabinet set into the floor and rummaging through it. I could not see what he picked up, but I saw him use it to prick his finger, at which I scowled. I'm not in the mood, I said. It'll make you feel better, which will make me feel better. Doesn't it bother you, selling God's blood now that people think you're willing to kill over it? No, he said, though his voice was sharper than usual, because I'm not willing to kill over it, and I don't give a damn what others think. He held the finger out to me. A single dark drop of blood, like a garnet, sat there. See? It's already shed. Shall I waste it? I sighed, but finally leaned forward and took his finger into my mouth. There was a fleeting taste of salt and meadow, along with other stranger flavors that I had never been able to name. The taste of other realms, maybe. Whatever it was, I felt the tingle of it in my throat as I swallowed, all the way down into my belly. I licked his finger before I let go. As I had suspected, the wound had already closed. I just liked teasing him. He let out a soft sigh. This is why the interdiction happened, he said, lying back down beside me. He rubbed little circles on the small of my back with one hand. This usually meant he was thinking about sex again. Greedy bastard. Hmm? I closed my eyes and shivered, just a little, as the god's blood spread its power throughout my body. Once, when Matting had given me a taste of his blood, I had begun floating precisely six inches off the floor. Hadn't been able to get down for hours. Matting was no help. He'd been too busy laughing his ass off. Fortunately, all I usually felt was a pleasant, relaxing sensation, like drunkenness but without the hangover. Sometimes I had visions, but they were never frightening. 
What are you talking about? You. He brushed his lips against my ear, sending a lovely shiver down my spine. He noticed it and traced the shiver with his fingertips, making me arch and sigh. You mortals and your intoxicating insanity. So many of us have been seduced by your kind, Ori. Even the three, long ago. I used to think anyone who fell in love with a mortal was a fool. But now that you've tried it, you see the error of your ways? Oh, no. He sat up, straddled my legs, and slid his hands under me to cup and knead my breasts. I sighed in languid pleasure, though I couldn't help giggling when he nibbled at the back of my neck. I was right. It is a kind of insanity. You make us want things we shouldn't. My smile faded, like eternity. Yes. His hand stilled for a moment, and more than that. What else? Children, for one. I sat up. Tell me you're joking. He had promised me long before that I didn't have to take the same precautions with him that I would with a mortal man. Hush, he said, pressing me back down. Of course I'm joking. But I could give you a child, if I wanted. If you wanted me to. And if I was willing to break the only real law the three have ever imposed on us. Oh. I settled back into the cushions, relaxing as he resumed his slow, coaxing caresses. You're talking about demons. Children of mortals and immortals. Monsters. They weren't monsters. It was before the gods' war before even I was born. But I hear they were just like us. Godlings, I mean. They could dance among the stars as we do. They had the same magic. Yet they grew old and died, no matter how powerful they were. It made them very strange, but not monstrous. He sighed. It's forbidden to create more demons, but, uh, Ori, you'd make such beautiful children. Hmm. I was beginning to not pay attention to him. Matting loved to talk while his hands were doing lovely things that transcended words. He had slipped one hand between my legs during this last ramble. Lovely things. So the three were afraid you'd all, uh, fall in love with mortals and make more dangerous little demons. Not all the three. In the end, it was only Tempest who ordered us to stay away from the mortal realm. But he does not brook disobedience so we did as he commanded. He kissed my shoulder, then nuzzled my temple. I never realized how cruel that order was before I met you. I smiled, feeling wicked, and reached back to catch hold of the warm, hard lump that lay against my backside. I gave him a practice stroke, and he shuddered against me, his breath quickening in my ear. Oh, yes, I teased. So cruel. Ori, he said. His voice suddenly low and tight. I sighed and lifted my hips a little, and then he slipped back into me, like he belonged nowhere else. Somewhere, in the delicious floating pleasure that followed, I became aware that we were being watched. I didn't think anything of it at first. Matting siblings seemed fascinated by our relationship, so if watching us helped them whenever they decided to try a mortal, I didn't mind. But there had been something different about this gaze, I realized afterward when I lay pleasantly exhausted and drifting toward sleep. It did not have the usual air of curiosity or titillation. There was something heavier about this, something disapproving and familiar. Of course, 
Madding had sent someone to collect all my belongings. Naturally, that would include Shiny, my brooding, arrogant, selfish bastard of a pet. I had no idea why my being with Madding angered him, and I didn't care. I was tired of his moods, tired of everything, so I ignored him and went to sleep. Madding was gone when I awoke. I sat up, bleary, and listened for a moment, trying to get my bearings. From downstairs, I could hear the ceaseless ripple of water and could smell Hera's perfume. Upstairs, someone was walking, making the floorboards creak. Intuition told me it was very late, but most of Madding's people were godlings. They didn't sleep. From somewhere on the same floor, I heard a woman laughing and two men talking. I yawned and put my head back down, but the voices impinged gently on my consciousness. Didn't tell you. Your business, damn it. You have no... It sank in slowly. Shiny. And matting. Talking? It didn't matter. I didn't care. You're not listening, Madding said. He spoke in a low voice, but intently, that made the sound carry. She gave you a real chance, and you're throwing it away. Why would you do that when so many of us fought for you, died? He faltered, silent for an instant. You never consider others, only yourself. Do you have any idea what Ori has gone through because of you? My eyes opened. Shiny's reply was a low murmur, unintelligible. Madding's was anything but. Almost a shout. You're destroying her. It isn't enough that you destroyed your own family. Do you have to kill what I love too? I got up. My stick was there on my side of the pillow pile, right where Mad had always put it. The robe was tangled in the pillows where I'd dropped it. I shook it out and put it on. Tell you this now. Madding had regained some of his composure, though he was still plainly furious. He'd lowered his voice again. Shiny was silent, as he had been since Madding's outburst. Madding kept talking, but I couldn't tell what he was saying. I stopped at the door. I didn't care, I told myself. My life was ruined, and it was Shiny's fault. He didn't care. Why did it matter what he and Madding said to each other? Why did I still bother trying to understand him? He could love you again, Madding said. Pretend that means nothing to you, Father, if you like, but I know. Father. I blinked. Father? In spite of everything, Madding said. Believe that or not, as you will. The words had an air of finality. The argument was over, one-sided as it had been. I stepped back against the bedroom wall and out of the doorway, though it would do me little good if Madding came back into the room. But although I heard Madding's footsteps leave whatever room they'd been in and stump away, they headed downstairs, not back to his bedroom. As I stood there against the wall, mulling over what I'd heard, Shiny left the room as well. He walked past Madding's room, and I braced myself for him to notice that I was out of bed and perhaps come in and find me. His footsteps didn't even slow. He headed upstairs. Which one to follow? I wavered for a moment, then went after Madding. At least I knew he would talk to me. I found him standing atop the largest of his pools, glowing bright enough to make the whole chamber visible as his magic reflected off walls and water. I stopped behind him savoring the play of light across his facets, the shift and ripple of liquid aquamarine flesh as he moved. 
the patterned flicker of the walls. He had folded his hands together, head bowed as if to pray. Perhaps he was praying. Above the godlings were the gods, and above the gods was Maelstrom, the unknowable. Perhaps even it prayed to something. Didn't we all need someone to turn to sometimes? So I sat down and waited, not interrupting, and presently Matting lowered his hands and turned to me. I should have kept my voice down, he said softly, amid the chime of crystal. I smiled, drawing up my knees and wrapping my arms around them. I find it hard not to yell at him, too. He sighed. If you could have seen him before the war, Ori, he was glorious then. We all loved him, competed for his love, basked in his attention, and he loved us back in his quiet, steady way. He's changed so much. His body gave off one last liquid shimmer and then settled back into his stocky, plain-featured human shell, which I had come to love just as much over the years. He was still naked, his hair still loose, still standing on water. His eyes carried memories and sorrow far too ancient for any mortal man. He would never look truly ordinary, no matter how hard he tried. So he's your father, I spoke slowly. I did not want to voice aloud the suspicion I'd begun to develop. I hardly wanted to believe it. There were dozens, perhaps hundreds of godlings, and there'd been even more before the gods' war. Not all of them had been parented by the three, but most of them had been. Matting smiled, reading my face. I'd never been able to hide anything from him. There aren't many of us left who haven't disowned him. I licked my lips. I thought he was a godling. Just a godling. I mean, not... I gestured vaguely above my head, meaning the sky. He's not just a godling. Confirmation, unexpectedly anticlimactic. I thought the three would be... different. They are. But Shiny, he's a special case. His current condition is temporary, probably. Nothing in my life had prepared me for this. I knew I was not especially knowledgeable about the affairs of gods, despite my personal association with some of them. I knew as well as anyone that the priests taught what they wanted us to know, not necessarily what was true. And sometimes, even when they told the truth, they got it wrong. Matting came over, sitting down beside me. He gazed out over the pools, his manner subdued. I needed to understand. What did he do? It was the question I had asked Sia. Something terrible. His smile had faded during my moment of stunned silence. His expression was closed, almost angry. Something most of us will never forgive. He got away with it for a while, but now the debt has come due. He'll be repaying it for a long time. Sometimes they got it very wrong. I don't understand, I whispered. He lifted a hand and drew a knuckle across my cheek, brushing a stray curl of hair aside. He was really lucky to find you, he said. I have to confess, I've been a bit jealous. There's still a little of the old him left. I can see why you'd be drawn to him. It's not like that. He doesn't even like me. I know, 